The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 192 for Monday, February 16th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome. You know, John, so we're, uh, I, I'm Dave Hamilton. That's John Braun. Hi, John. How are you? Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm good. Except I'm, I'm it, it, it's, we're sort of out of sorts here. Uh, it's, it's daytime. It, it's, uh, we're not used to recording at yeah. 430 in the afternoon. But, uh, but you had the day off, and so we figured we'd take the night off and do this. But uh, interesting not to get a break. For me, usually I prep the show in the afternoon, and then I go home and have dinner, and then I come back, and then boom, I'm right here. And today it was just like prep and dive right in. And wow, when I was setting up the mic yeah, you stand, came, you came close to the. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the clock. I'm like, oh my gosh! Oh, I got this. I'm gonna big, go live. I got this big blood blister on my on my hand. Oh nice. Check that. Like, the mic stand pinched me terribly. Wow, mm. it doesn't hurt, but boy, howdy, it looks ugly. Uh anyway, mm. I'm gonna be off next week. Did I tell you that, John? Really? Yeah, I'm going down to Florida, visiting uh, family and all that. So mm-hmm. we got to, we got to pack it all in today. And then we'll take next week off because I'm not sure about bandwidth uh, and time and all that good stuff. So, uh-huh. um, well, we got uh, some uh, time machine stuff to talk about, get DVD stuff. We're going to talk about quality of service oh, and yeah. bandwidth limiting, right? Maybe even hiding the dock. But but first, uh, I think we're going to follow up on on the Drobo thing from from last week because I have some additional data to report and to correct and then i think you've got some stuff that's that's sort of semi-related to that too yeah yeah all right um let's see so last week i talked about you know you know what before we even do that let's just let's just take a left turn if you want to contact us we're going to tell you how to do it right now how's that sound john right now and yeah so i get now now, like two zero six 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 geek, which is four three three five. That's that's exactly what we're going to tell them, but but not quite yet. We'll tell them now. You said now. Oh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> which is yeah. uh, so you could call us at the number John just said. You can email us at feedback at macgeekgab dot com, and then you can Skype us, and it might work to uh, to macgeekgab. Is that yeah. it, John? Do you remember you the email, email address, us. John? Quick, pop quiz. What's the email address? <laughs> Feedback at MacGeekGab. That's right. Com. That's right. Okay, so last week I talked all about the Drobo that I had set up and played with and all that. And I stated that the speeds were the same regardless of whether or not I was connected via FireWire 800 to my iMac or over the Drobo share. I talk, the, the folks at Drobo heard that and they said, are you sure? And I said, well, I tested it. I'm pretty sure. They said, uh, would you test it again? And I said, yeah. And, uh, and sure enough, I did. And the FireWire 800 speeds were way faster than over the Drobo share. So here's, uh, here's the speeds. I, and I went and around and tested, even on the same Mac. I don't know what I did differently, uh, but consistently now over FireWire, I'm getting somewhere between 30 and 40 megabytes per second. Uh, usually in the low 30s, 33-ish, but I've seen it peak out at 40. That sounds about, you know, on par with a, a modern drive. That's right. From the platter out to the, the interface. That's right. Yep. Um, and then over USB, over USB 2, 
I'm seeing uh, about 25 megabytes per second. So a little bit slower over USB 2 than FireWire 800. And then uh, over the Drobo Share, it's still that 13 megabytes a second. So the Drobo Share is connected to the Drobo via USB 2. Over USB 2, we're able to see 25. Over the Drobo Share, it's 13. So the Drobo Share is the is the limiting factor here. Uh, the folks at Drobo uh, predict it this way. They say, look, it's it's you know the processor in there is only so fast, and et cetera, et cetera. But that those are the speeds that uh, that I see with the Drobo. So I, I I just wanted to report that out to uh, to clarify from last week. The other thing I did this week, so I've got three drives in the Drobo, John. Mm-hmm. I started copying a file, big file off the Drobo, and then I just walked over to it and I yanked out one of the drives. Why? To see what would happen. And what happened? Well, effectively nothing. The The copy continued. Um, the The lights on the front of the Drobo lit up and and did some funny things. They they went from being green to being to flashing because, uh, yeah, from green to orange. And and then I launched the Drobo software and it said, OK, it's, it's going to take about two hours to reconfigure the Drobo, don't yank any drives uh, now. We've got to, you know, your data is not protected at the moment. And uh, and then, and then it, so, it, you know, and it reduced the capacity down. I had not filled up the drive past the point where, um, where two drives, two drives was still enough to hold the data that I had uh, on the Drobo. So it was going to be happy and it was just going to shrink itself down and, and go back to, uh, to, you know, two drive mode and be fine. Uh, and about halfway through that, I popped the drive back in and then it changed gears and went the other way. And it took uh, maybe about five or 10 minutes and then it was back in business. So oh. it did all the magic that it's supposed to do for its, you know, fault tolerance. It, 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 perfect. Which I which I kind of liked. You know, yeah, it's fun being able to just yank a drive out of the thing. That's what you want to be able to do, right? Because everybody wants to do that. No, <laughs> no, probably not. Somebody has to. Uh, you know, and along those lines, Peter wrote in, I'm going to jump around here because this seems relevant at this point, John. Mm-hmm. And Peter wrote in and he said, he, he created a scenario, so I'll walk through it. He says, let's assume you have a bunch of music, photos, and movies that are too numerous for your Mac, so you decide to get Drobo and plug in some serious storage space. You transfer your large collection of media files, freeing up your Mac's drive. You also decide to use the Drobo for your Mac's time machine backup. All going well, eh? Now your data is more secure because the Drobo spreads your data amongst the drives. So if one individual drive fails, you have coverage. Correct. However, although your data isn't on any one individual hard drive, it's all in one individual box. That box is this is just as vulnerable to fire, theft, flood, earthquake, disaster of choice as a single drive would be. It could also be in the same room as, say, your Mac. So then you have all your eggs in one basket. So the question is, if you invest in a Drobo and use it to store data other than to purely back up, How do you back up your Drobo? Buy another Drobo? This could get expensive. Where do you put it? If you want it off-site, do you have to get the extra hardware to share data between them, etc.? Pete brings up a great point, right, John? I mean, you know, fault tolerance is not backup. It it ensures reliability, but yet backup, I would say, um, a good, uh, one piece of a good backup strategy is that you don't have everything in one place. So that's a very valid point. And actually, a lot of places right now, will do you know you, you make the backups like like uh, where i work it's in a different building so you know you do the the backup in one building and you bring it into a you know locked room in another building okay that's that's better 
than being like on the same desk or yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, if something, you know, some sort of physical thing happens, then you're, you're, you know, you're in big trouble. So, you know, having it in multiple places, uh, different physical locations, um, as, as much as you can manage. And I think that's where things start getting squirrely, which is do you do daily? Do you do weekly? I mean, I've seen some, you know, tape backup setups where, uh, you know, it gets pretty extravagant, kind of hard to manage. So I guess that's what you got to be careful of. You know, I think it's a bit more straightforward with, uh, you know, these hard drives, uh, for, for example, I'll veer a little bit to what I started looking at. So all this talk of Drovo got me thinking at work about getting a backup solution. So I asked one of my coworkers, you know, what do you guys use? And what's the latest thing people are getting? Cause you know, we've bought list C and WD and all that. And he's like, well, you know, I got a, my book mirror edition. I'm like, Oh, neat. You know, let me, you know, how much? And it was for one gigabyte, which is two, 500 uh, or a terabyte, which is two, 500 gig drives. It was like two twenty or something. So not bad. Um, and this drive, the mirror edition, you can make it either RAID 0, which globs the drive together, and it's a one terabyte drive, or it does, where, where you start getting into ways to, to handle, you know, making redundant data. RAID 1, it does mirroring. So basically what happens, what gets copied on one drive, it gets copied to the other. Um, but it's, it doesn't assure integrity. It just says, whatever's here, I'll put there. Right. If there's it, an error or failure, it may copy it. But, and, uh, you know, but as you move down the RAID chain, those things are taken care of. So you know, that, I would say that could be a very basic aspect of fault tolerance and that you're having two individual drives. The, the likelihood of them both failing right. is, is low. The likelihood that you know, if they both fail, if you know, uh, a meteor comes down is high. So mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's always a, a, an issue, right? I mean, it, it, you always have something. Pete, you, you've, you've used a Drobo for a while and you've said you've got sort of a tiered system going. I, I do. You've uh, you gave me the uh, gouge and I don't remember it off the top of my head how to use an unsupported file. So mine is actually connected to my airport extreme in. I use my time machine to the Drobo. Yep. And then uh, and. I also put some individual files down there, including an entire iTunes library so that I can grab it and it's not in that database mesh that the time machine creates. Uh, and, and there's still more storage and I can shake a stick X. So, so that's very nice. And then the other thing I do is uh, super duper with a FireWire drive uh, probably about once a week. So I'm never more than a week behind. I can always go and get get myself back up and running Okay. Uh, using that because I'm worried that I've either copied corrupt files to the Drobo or uh, just as Peter pointed out, uh, you know, anything could go wrong, fire, flood, yep. earthquake, act of God, you name it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And actually what I'm thinking of doing now that I'm, you know, looking at external drives, the problem is, as you know, a lot of us have had problems with doing a uh, time machine backups to the time capsule when it's wireless. Although that's supposed to be fixed in 10.5.6. Have you still experienced uh, that, John? No, I haven't. But what I'm okay. saying is just describing another scenario. If you, you, you have this concern, the time capsule itself has a backup option, which will take whatever's on that. Yep. And if you plug in an external drive in the USB port, that's the only place you can. Right. Um, right now I have a printer in there. But if I put in another drive, then I could create you know, a, a backup of a hopefully uncorrupted <laughs> sparse image on that thing. That's right. Yeah. And and you could even hang you could go so far as to hang a Drobo off of it. And now you've got uh-huh. a, a, a fault tolerant backup of your backups again. Nice. 
unless the USB two cable is much longer than it could theoretically be, uh, a meteor is still going to cause any problems, you know, that right, right. would otherwise. And and that's why I actually like the setup I have here, and is the reason that I put the time capsule. You know, we've got that, as you all know, we have the Ethernet, uh, the gigabit Ethernet running between the house and the office here underground. Um, and now I have the time capsule sitting over at the house. So if something were to happen to the office, the, the, all the backups are sitting at the house. Of course, if something happens to the house, well, the, the original copy of the data is presumably still here at the office. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different things, but you do, you need to be aware of that. No one solution is perfect. You kind of have to, you have to decide how far you are willing to go and how much it's worth it to you to, you know, to go there. Uh, in terms of how you're going to back up and and how you're going to ensure that you've got enough copies of your data in the right places uh, that if something does happen, you know, you're not totally screwed. Right. And I would think in this day and age, uh, 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 one option, which is almost guaranteed to be far away from you, is something like iDisk or other, right. you know, file backup, uh, you know, yeah. IP or cloud based uh things because that yeah that's obviously going to be somewhere else of course then you have uh, security concerns since they are out in the cloud that's right that's right yep and actually remember that you know that's a there's always a security you may want to not you know necessarily get a vault though maybe you do but your backups are your computer so i could either steal your computer or if i know where your backups are i'll just steal those right right so uh, yeah just don't leave them laying around on a desk or something i, I have seen that <laughs> well yeah <laughs> <laughs> or the tape drive just out in the middle of nowhere with yep. know, tapes next to it. And it's like, oh, good. Yep. All right. Um, as far as pricing, Brent, uh, also known as Truck Lover on Twitter, uh, who converted the shows for us, right, during during Macworld, John? Indeed. Uh, he said he got his Firewire Drovo, so the Rev 2, the, the current model, uh, for a little more than 350 bucks, uh, brand new from Amazon after a $50 mail-in rebate. So not quite as expensive as before, and that's not a bad price. So shop around if you're looking for one of these enclosures. They're, they're, they're out there, and, and uh, you might be able to, to find a deal. So there's good stuff happening. Uh, you know, Bill writes in, and let me find his email here. He says uh, he's got two questions. From the Drobo discussions this week, what do you think the feasibility is of storing my entire iTunes folder, movies and music on the Drobo and streaming it to my Apple TV via by via my MacBook Pro? I'm suspecting the network would not be fast enough to manage this as opposed to just using my MacBook Pro to store my iTunes data. Uh, and then he says, also, would it work if just the Drobo was used and plugged into the back of my airport extreme via USB and my iTunes app was pointed to the Drobo as the music repository? OK, uh, so. As I was prepping this, I read his questions wrong, so I'm glad I always read them again. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so the first one, um, there's no the the, the Drobo is going to be fast enough to stream your your videos, so no problem there. You could connect it to your MacBook Pro, uh, and and no problem. Even using the Drobo Share, which is the the slowest method that I've been able to find to connect to the Drobo, would, would still I mean you know 13 megabytes a second, still plenty fast. Uh, for streaming music, right, or, or movie, even a you know even a, an HD movie, it's it's going to be fine. Um, the the uh, let's look at this. So, would it work if the Drobo was used and plugged into the back of my Airport Extreme via USB, and my iTunes app was pointed to the Drobo? Yeah, that that would work too, right, John? I mean, it's just 
instead of iTunes seeing the Drobo connected locally, it's connected over a network, but the Air, Airport Express will share the drive over the network and that should work just fine. The, the yeah, other it is slower. It, 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 yeah, potentially. Yes, that's right. It, it would be depending on how you were going to connect it to your Mac and, and how you were dealing with the AirTunes. Yeah, it would yeah, be slower. But the that's wireless true. speeds are starting to get up there. But you yep. know, whenever you are designing a you know, multi-room or multi-location mm-hmm. solution, always keep in mind that they're like, what, what is N right now optimally? Well, N is 230 optimally okay. one, you know, 115. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so uh, Pete's saying, go ahead, just say it. Oh, yeah, what is it? The, uh, the Apple TV hack, and I'm, my Alzheimer's is acting up, so I can't remember the name of it. But the little thumb drive that you put in yep. with the ATV you get from Apple Core uh, allows you to hang your Drobo right on the back of your Apple TV for essentially unlimited storage as well. Oh, interesting. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a way to expand your Apple TV, yep. plug it into the USB. And, yeah. Huh. You know what I've been thinking, Dave? Uh, you and I are both, uh, and I don't know if you are, Pete, uh, TiVo fans. I am, but I don't have one. Oh, okay. I want it. I'm a wannabe. Yeah, you, but you know, I'm starting to, to be. Think, yeah. Sort of, yeah. yeah. The one thing I'm noticing right now is that because more and more of the channels I'm getting are now HD, um, I'm starting to... Fill up that uh, drive, huh? Run low on drive, but now fortunately the latest TiVo, uh, the Series 3 and the HD, now, I think before it was a hack, you had to type something magical on the uh, keypad. Right. Um, but now you just get one, of the, and I think it is Western Digital and others, but but I think it's just any SATA drive. That's right. Um, you just pop in there, and it does, I guess, a stitching and makes it one you know big whopping drive. The problem uh, is, once you uh-huh. do that, I don't think you can unplug it. <clears throat> and I don't know this for certain, but but I I, I remember reading something about. Yeah, you got to wipe the whole thing. I think if you, if you pull yeah. it, you got you lose everything. everything. I think you have to reformat it. Yeah, I think it goes you know essentially <clears throat> RAID zero, where it it, mm. it creates one big storage volume, and if you yank part of it, it's it's not. It doesn't know what to do. So, uh, yep. So, so one one more thing on Bill's comment, right? So, if you if Bill gets the Drobo Share, we talked last week, John. There's those Drobo apps that you can install yeah. on the Drobo Share. There's one called the Firefly Media Server, and I'm pretty sure and it's built essentially to be an iTunes clone, in so much as it appears as an iTunes serving library to other iTunes clients, including the Apple TV. So uh, I'm pretty sure in addition to music, it, it will stream video. So uh, if you put uh, your video files on your Drobo in an iTunes library and then stream them out using Firefly, uh, you could stream directly to your Apple TV from from the Firefly server. So that might that might be another cool little thing. You, you have to buy the Drobo share to do that. The Drobo in and of itself does not have the, the guts to uh, to run any processes on it. But uh, but there you go. So. Uh, did I have something here? Where, 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 where the heck are we here? I don't know where we are. Oh, so you were talking, oh, um, no, let me, let me chime in a bit here. So I was yeah, looking go. at some other options. So I've been to some, uh, some trade shows and the, the functionality that you're talking about, which is basically media server, I would say file server or file sharing. And, you know, it takes different forms. There are a couple other vendors out there and I, I've run across some of these recently. So, you know, I just mentioned, uh, Western Digital has, you know, my book drive. They also have something called Anywhere Access, which I, I know I saw a show a while ago and looked at it. It was, you know, I guess a web-based interface. But here is the fish shaker, and you, you saw the description of this product. To me, if you're going to share media, you share media. Um, here, they actually had a little footnote, which just bothered me. 
Um, due to unverifiable media license authentication, the most common audio and video file types cannot be shared with different users using WD Anywhere Access. A list of the non-shareable file types can be found here and you saw the list and it was basically oh, any yeah. type of file that you'd want to. So it's like, <laughs> I'll pull up, I'll pull up the, the list here. So Pete can why? see it too. Cause Pete wasn't here. It's like, when we were why are you wasting show? your time preventing users of the same device from sharing stuff? I mean, that's just terrible. So, so a big shake of the fist to that feature. It's like um, the, this list is like two pages long. I, I it's think, got. I think only .txt files aren't listed. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, MP1. So, uh, Does anybody use MP1? I guess so. So we got MP1, MP2, oh MP3, and MP4 just to cover all of those audio MPEG things. Uh, this list is like two pages, two screenfuls long on my you know twenty inch iMac here. It's ridiculous. Well, that's yep. because you're thieves and you're gonna. Yeah, that's right. Steal you know, I, I've said it before, and I think I actually stole the phrase from you, Pete. Treat me like a thief, and I will act like one. I, exactly. If yeah. you if you put a limit in front of us, we're going to figure out how to get around it. Otherwise, you know, we're just going to use it for what we originally intended. It, exactly, and it goes back. If I got it from that yeah. that George Will column twenty years ago, where he said, "You know what? The hotels give me those little hangers that that you're not supposed to steal." He says, "I take them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, treat me like a thief. I'll act like one. I'll I like take it. your hangers. I like um, it. <laughs> okay, you know that the, the one drive I saw here doesn't say it's for the Mac, but I think that problem because it's a web based utility is." Uh, sure. Now I saw another product, and, and then we'll move on here. So actually, you know, you know what I'm going to do, John? I'm going to I'm going to interrupt, interrupt you. Me. I sure am, because uh, I just want to make sure we we uh, we get to our sponsors who provide uh, these uh, these uh, the, the, the well they support the show, right? Uh, so Circus Ponies is our first sponsor for today, and then we're going to come right back to what you're talking about here, John, because I got some stuff that that's going to tie into this too. Mm-hmm. And Circus Ponies Notebook uh, is the app that we're talking about. Notebook 3.0 is out. Uh, The concept behind this is that it is an electronic place to store all of the stuff that you can't really store anywhere else. And you can pull it together into multiple notebooks by topic in your life or by project or really however you want to do it. The idea is you start in outline mode, you start typing, and then if you want, you can pull in a PDF, you can annotate on the PDF, you can write in uh, with, if you've got a tablet, it'll do, if you scan in a document, it'll do optical character recognition, uh, and then it's got what they call their multi-dex, which allows you to search for information based on what it is you remember about it. It might be, uh, you know, a number in it or a name in it that maybe the day that you scanned it in or a keyword, if you assigned one or, or anything. And then, and then once you've got this, this notebook and the notebook could be anything, right? It, it could be, uh, you know, for a project that you've got at work, it could be for, you know, your household stuff. Maybe you're doing your taxes. I know, John, you were doing your taxes today. You might have some, some notes that you're saving about that. Then you can take the notebook and print it as a PDF, publish it to the web, and you can even go direct to your mobile me account. Uh, so, it, you know, this seems like a nebulous thing. They, they provide with, a, they provide you with a bunch of starting point templates uh, to kind of give you an idea of what you can do and, and maybe even, uh, you know, to actually use and, and then, and then modify on your own at circusponies.com. You can take a 30 day free test drive, uh, after that, it's forty nine ninety five to to use the app, and uh, at, 
and and that's it. Circus Ponies Notebook at circusponies.com. You got anything to add, Pete? I know you use Circus Ponies Notebook. Uh, it's it's great. All right. it, it works great. There you go. It just works. Okay. Well, there you go. It just works. Circusponies.com. All right, John, go. Where am I going? I don't know. Run. Quick. Oh, yes. Okay. So there's one more product in this class that I... Uh, all right, so Western, uh, I don't know if that particular feature is part of the, the Western Digital Mac products. They do have some Mac products. The, this one, I think, was only Windows. So, it, again, it's web, web accessible. But one that I know works because I, I was looking through my emails, and I, it emailed me a press kit, which is kind of neat, <laughs> the wow. device itself. But it's called uh, Central Access, and it's definitely compatible with the Mac. And it's another kind of network-slash-media sharing thing. So it you know, so you have the raw drives where, where it looks like a drive, but then you have these ones that have, as usually an add-on, a web interface to get at the data um, in a different way and sometimes a, a better way. You know, it can show you thumbnails for pictures and stuff yep. like that. So that was one, uh, another one that I saw. Um, again, it's Maxter Central Access. Um, oh, cool. So, uh, you, you know, price this on class, that in, in, in ballpark? Mm, of course not. Okay, good. You know, it says one terabyte. I'm, uh, well, let's see here. Hold on. You know, if I click on buy now, you'd expect the price here. Uh, looks like two, yeah, about two, two something for one terabyte, uh, two forty four. So a lot of these things. So it seems, yeah, for a terabyte, you know, a, uh, you know, because the other one, the Western Digital, I saw was same thing. Okay, a terabyte for two something. So you know, you get and a so case. this is this is two drives adding up to one terabyte. Is that right? Uh, I'm not sure about the Maxter product. Okay, it, it could okay. be a single drive. Actually, that's Got reasonable. It. They have a well. They have a one terabyte and a two terabyte product. I'm going to guess the two terabyte product is two ones because I don't think there are two terabyte drives uh, yet. No, there's not. That's right. I've seen one and a half. So I think at most. Yep. So my guess is yep. the one is probably a one, or it could be two five hundreds. Yep. I don't know why they'd want to do that. Cool. So, um, you know, and as we see more of those products, depending, uh, you know, where our travels bring us, we'll uh, we'll let you know. But I, I think it's a, you know, definitely a cool class of product, you know, similar to Apple TV and other things that let you store and share your uh, media. Um, Who's next? Well, I, I was I was going to I'm going to I'm going off off book here, John. Whoa. Uh, so one thing that and, and, and this has nothing to do with the Drobo other than uh that it was reading about the Drobo and reading on the Drobo forums that led me to this. When time machine backs up to a time capsule, or if you're backing up to a Drobo, like Pete said, you know, that's, that's in an unsupported capacity or, or something, you know, but, but, but there's plenty of people doing that. Right. Uh, the problem is on the Drobo and on any, de- on any device, what happens is time machine creates a sparse bundle for each computer that's going to back up to the device. But what it does is it creates, it sets the maximum size of that, that um, sparse bundle to be the full size of the drive. Now on a Drobo, the full size of the drive may is going to appear to be larger than the drive actually is. So it's going to appear to have more storage space than, uh, than you actually have. And that's kind of the, the way the Drobo works. But even on a time capsule, let's say you have a one terabyte time capsule like I do. And let's say you have five machines backing up to it like I do. Well, I don't want I've been having problems lately where, it, you know, I don't mind that it's going to rotate backups out and, and delete older stuff. 
But I've had a couple of times where one or more of my machines has said, oh, yeah, you know, uh, I don't have enough room to to back up to the drive. Not I don't have enough room and I'm going to have to prune old stuff that mm, I don't have enough room. And the issue is, you know, time machine is happening on each Mac, right? It's a client based operation. So it each individual Mac does not know what the other four Macs are going to do when they go out and save to that drive. So there's this management process that's not cohesive. And I've always thought, gosh, I would like to limit the size, the maximum size of each of these backups so that I could, because I know they're going to hit the maximum. That's just how it works. It's not going to prune until it runs out of space. I would like Hmm. to artificially limit that so that even if all of them max out, I still have, let's say, 50 gigs free on the on the time capsule. Right. So so that I've got, you know, some headroom and, and think it's just, OK. Right. Does this make sense? Yeah. Yes. And I, I, I see what led you to say this. <laughs> OK. Uh, so uh, it, have you experienced this yet, too, John, or have you haven't hit the max size of your uh, your time capsule? I uh, my two time machine backups are. My G5, where I have a, I think it's a 500 gig drive, okay. and a one terabyte time machine drive. Yep. And then I have the uh, the MacBook, which I think is 200 gigs, and I'm not sure how big the drive is inside of, um, okay. I think I got the one terabyte. And your time capsule. Time yeah, capsule. you did. Yeah. So in both cases, I'm only backing up one machine to one time, which I guess optimally is how, well... No, I, I won't say should be, but you're much less likely if the drive that you're backing up from is way smaller. Right. So, so I see exactly what you're saying. In my case, I'll probably never run into the problem you have. You, are, you because will. I'm only doing one machine to one drive. Well, yeah, but but remember, time time machine saves multiple instances of files. So you could have a 200 gig drive and and have 300 gigs worth of backups very easily because you've got old versions of things out there. Right. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to. Well, in my case, so, so for example, on my G5, I have 744 of 931 gigabytes available. OK, so you're, it's going to okay. take you a while to get there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I you know, I mean, I do That's change fine. data. But but again, you know, I guess the best strategy is to have as small a drive as possible. <laughs> yeah, but, but in the base machine, it does bigger drive. But, but yeah. no, you're absolutely right. And it is flawed. It, this this time time machine if, to time if, capsule thing with multiple if machines. you want yes absolutely i agree with you because it yeah okay as you stated uh, nobody really has the big picture so they all kind of act independently and that creates big yeah, problems that's that's the problem right and so what the time and, and then and the drobo people kind of figured this out because it's far more relevant on that side because you might want to use the drobo for multiple things right and you don't want time machine to just go and eat all your drive space but really mm-hmm. uh, as soon as i read about this i did it on on my uh my time capsule so these are all smart sparse bundles out there right john well t- and they say you can do this with the graphical version of disk utility, and it appears to allow you to, but I had no success. So what disk utility will let you do? And this is uh, in the GUI in theory and provable by me anyway, from the command line is to resize a sparse bundle. Now it's important to bear in mind that a sparse bundle is going to appear to have a it's going to have a larger capacity 
And, but it only takes up as much room as it needs. You cannot resize a sparse bundle to be smaller than the data it holds for obvious reasons, right? If you have a sparse bundle that's one gig and you have, uh, or sorry, if you have a sparse bundle that's one terabyte and you have uh, one, you know, a hundred gigs worth of data on it, you can't tell it that, oh, I want it to be 50 gigs now. You could tell it I want it to be 100 and maybe five, and, and then that's about where it, where it gets to. Yeah, because then it'd be negative. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, how do you decide? It's crazy. It's crazy talk. That's right. So uh, from the command line, I used a, uh, a, a command called diskutil, D-I-S-K-U-T-I-L. And then in that, there is a resize. No? Yes? Am I looking at this? Am I doing the right command? You know what? It's not. It's HDI util, isn't it? Yeah, no. How did I do this? And this is, see, I'm going off book here. I know I did this the other day. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to bear with me for a second here, John. Yeah, I'm with you. HDI util, I got the screen up here. Let me. Yeah, but I don't think that's there. where the resize Manipulate is. disk images. Is, that, is it HDI util? Uh, there is a resize. Yeah, it's uh, HDI util argument. resize. Yeah. Yep, you are right. Okay. 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 So what you do is you type something along the lines of and and now you're my you're going to do whatever you want, but what I did is I turned off time machine on all my Macs before I started doing this cuz I didn't want to be in the middle of resizing a sparse bundle and then have the Mac go and try and back up to that smart sparse bundle. This is just because I don't like to create, you know, a, a flurry of hell in my world. Uh, but, uh, but you know, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're, you roll a little bit differently. Than that. <laughs> so what I, what you do is you type HDI util resize, and then, uh, what you can first, you can type, type image info. And, uh, what that will do is it'll give you a whole bunch of information about the image. And one of the things it's going to tell you there is how many blocks, uh, the minimum, the current and the maximum size of that sparse bundle are. Um, and, and so y you can resize down in blocks to the minimum size. I, I had already kind of let this run out of control before I, before I did it. So I resized all of mine down as small as they would go. Uh, but, but I, I just did it, you know, by, by looking at the sparse bundle in the finder, I went to the sparse bundle in the finder, did a get info on it, saw how much space it was taking up, added about five gigs to that. And then just typed HDI util space resize space. And then if it was 300 gigs, I, I typed 305 G space and then the name of the image, you know, the, the full path to the image. So, you know, slash volume slash time capsule slash, you know, Dave's MacBook Pro, mm -hmm. you know, 009 FC3, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the name of the image is. And then it runs for a little while. I mean, it might be five or 10 minutes. This is normal. And it goes and does its thing. And then that's it. And then if you mount the image, instead of it being, you know, a gig in theoretical size, now it's, you know, 305 or sorry, a terabyte in theoretical size. It's, you know, 305. And, and the next time time capsule or time machine backs up to it, it goes through, it prunes out the old stuff and it keeps it to that size. And I did this the other day. And I haven't thought about it since all the machines have been backing up. I haven't been getting warnings that they can't fit or anything because it's smart enough to just prune it down and do its thing. So. So nice. I know I, I went a little bit off book there, John, but but this is valuable well, stuff. But but it leads into uh, uh -huh. one quick. It does. Thing. Yeah, it's a um, nice little segue. Jeff, 
So, mm-hmm. so I think what we're saying is that we're, we're, we're looking for a lot of extra features in Time Machine. Yeah. And yeah. Jeff made us aware of some great utility, which is a really great start. It, it is. That's right. <laughs> and it's called Time Machine Editor, and we'll, we'll link to it, of course. Um, and it will let you change the backup interval, as many of you, unfortunately, know, especially if you're on a portable, maybe not so much a desktop. Um, the, the default behavior is every hour... I'm going to back something up. And as uh, Dave was kind of hinting at, sometimes you're backing up a w- way more data than you should just because of these whole sizing issues. Like the, uh, you know, recently I had one that was taken forever and it's because it was backing up a virtual disk image of a virtual box. Which I think oh, is yeah. the downfall of a lot of these things is a lot yeah. of times if, if you represent a file as, or, or a drive using a VM as an image or, or their proprietary image, Time Machine is usually going to say, you know what? Everything's changed. I'm going to back up all two gigs of that baby. And it did. <laughs> and so, uh, so this thing changes it so it doesn't happen every hour. Right. You know, maybe, uh, well, however often, often you'd like. So um, I, I think it's a great start. And then, you know, maybe they'll add the things that you were talking about, the intelligent, uh, you know, partition resizing and allocation and uh, stuff like it, that. It should be smart enough to do that. You know, the thing is, yeah. right, the time machine, the time capsule, rather, has been out less almost exactly a year in fact i think i got mine a year ago like almost yeah, we ordered almost today. at the same time i think yeah. you got yours first yeah but you know it took that long i'm backing up five machines to it and it took that long wow. for me to get to the point where it was you know hitting this wall my guess is over the next six to 12 months lots of people are going to start hitting this wall and uh and apple's going to start getting a lot of complaints of look you know um my time time machine saying it doesn't have room on the drive. Uh, I don't know what to do. All I'm doing is backing up to it. Um, you know, what am I supposed to do? And hopefully they're smart enough to fix this problem before they have widespread uh, issues like this. But they've been they've been slowing down quite a bit with uh, with with keeping on top of this stuff or or they haven't been able to stay as ahead of their customers on on many of these things as they probably mm-hmm. uh, would would like to so ho- hopefully they'll figure this out I, I can only assume that they're seeing this problem on the test stuff that they're running internally at apple too right so but you know well it's hard to say because you know the uh but in the big wide world i mean once you let something out in the wild and let users at it it changes who knows what the heck they're going to do right so i would actually argue again uh, well i don't know i i haven't been in the apple testing labs but i've seen this sometimes in the environment i work in is you know you get the same group of testers they do the same sort of things they rarely involve people that have nothing to do with the product because a lot of times it's confidential and stuff right so you get uh, blind spots where the certain things are not going to be tested. So maybe, for example, just a hypothesis, they would, you know, only use this testing machine with this drive, and and they wouldn't try every single combination of every OS and and uh, patch and stuff like that. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of times, and I'm sure Apple has them, though many will have you, you know, strongly deny the beta program that you're a part of. Um, you know who we're talking about. Yep. Do you? No, oh, we can't talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> no, and no, John and I aren't part of some uh, super secret Apple beta program. He's he's referring to something else, but, uh, well, but we'll leave it. If I were, I couldn't say. That's right. Uh, so anyways, Fight Club, you know, it's like Fight Club. That's right. 
uh, you know, um, but anyways, they yeah, can, yeah. so so I think to, to close out the the point is that yeah they they're not going to be able to identify every bug. Hopefully, they do enough beta testing and tossing things out to people outside of you know the Apple campus that that can try things and then. Uh, you get a better product, but sometimes, and there's only so much time. I mean, that was the, and then, you know, we'll move yeah. on here. But the one thing I learned from, uh, it was actually when I took digital design. The thing is, it, 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 the, the one thing that, that it was impressed upon me by the instructor, and it was just a big insight, is that, you know, if, if you're talking a digital chip and binary, things grow at a fast rate. And the problem is, every time you have to make a decision, so, you know, one decision is zero or one. Two decisions right. is, and as you as you increase the number of decision points, you get to a point where you can't possibly test every combination of decisions. It is virtually impossible to make, you know, especially think of a microprocessor, which has, you know, millions or, I don't know if they're getting to billions yet, but millions of transistors or, or tens or hundreds of millions. You can't test all those combinations. It's impossible. Right. That's true. So, yeah. So we all try, and that's why the show exists, I guess. Uh, yes, <laughs> that we don't have infinite time to solve every problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and I hope I'm saying uh, your name right. Terry wrote in with something that was very similar to what you were just saying, where you backed up a, an entire disk image. Oh, right. Terry, Terry wrote and said, uh, I also listened to your advice with regards to the iDisk. I moved most of my data over to the iDisk on the iMac and archived and deleted all the data that was in Documents. Same with the MacBook and everything works fine there. My problem is that a few days ago, I realized that my iDisk wasn't being backed up by Time Machine. Although my data is safe because it's backed up in the cloud on mobile me, I do not have a local backup and the pleasure of having multiple versions of the file. Okay, that's not entirely true. What happens, and we've talked about this in the past, but it's, it's worth repeating. If something is saved as a sparse bundle, it is backed up in a very interesting way. And that's how the local copy of your iDisk is set. So if you're in System Preferences, Mobile Me, iDisk, and you turn syncing on, uh, which if you're going to store your regularly used documents on the iDisk, I highly recommend this because that way you actually have a local copy. It's stored in your home folder inside library in a folder called File Sync, and it's saved as a sparse bundle. What happens with a sparse bundle is the first time Time Machine backs it up, it backs up the whole thing, of course. Then, uh, and we've talked about this before, John, it's saved in, I want to call them slices, eight megabyte, what did you call them? Or bands? Bands, that's it. Yeah. So it's saved oh, in- Oh, I can't believe you forgot bands. Band. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. You're in a band. I'm in, I'm in many bands. Uh, it, it's saved in these, these, you know, stripes, right? Slices, bands, whatever you want to call them. And and so as you update files on the bundle or on the disk, uh, whatever, you know, if it's a 10 megabyte uh, file that you've updated, it might it might have affected two bands of that file. It, it might be more than that. It might be less depending on how the, the structure is organized. But it's not backing up the entire thing all the time. It's just backing up new copies of the bands. Well, the way that time capsule or time machine works you can restore the way your iDisk image looked at any given point in time, which means the entire iDisk. Uh, and you can save it to a different location so that you, you're not overwriting what you had and, and all that good stuff. But, but no, you can't go through your, uh, your local copy of your iDisk and then go pull out specific files like you could if, if they were in your documents folder. But it is being backed up, and it is being backed up regularly along with everything else, unless, of course you omit the file sync folder 
uh, from the time machine backup in the, you know, in the system preferences. So I just wanted to get that out there. So, yep. Oh, I got one thing. Go. We got to say hi to Scott. Hi, Scott. Okay. There. Okay, good. (laughs) We're done with that. All right. Um, All right. uh, I'll do our second sponsor, John. Audio Engine. Audio Engine has the, uh, right, Audio Engine USA. You've heard us talking about them for many years now. They've been a sponsor of the show for a long time. Uh, they have the W2, which is uh, a wireless adapter for your iPod. It plugs into the dock connector on the bottom of your iPod or your iPhone, and it streams the music wirelessly to a uh, little receiver that you plug into your speakers or your stereo or whatever it is. It sends an uncompressed CD quality digital signal across the air. No network setup required. You just plug it in and it works. Uh, the it, it plays in, in, you know, obviously it's not truly real time because that would be impossible uh, knowing what we know about technology, <laughs> but it is as close to real time as, as they can and fast enough so that the human mind uh, cannot perceive a difference. You can actually play stuff coming out of the speakers uh, and watch a you know video on your iPhone or or whatever, and it's going to work. Now that's sort of a, an interesting setup. I'm not sure why you'd be watching a video on your iPhone and having speakers uh, coming out, but but you certainly could. Uh, but you know, think about it like this: if you want to have your uh, music playing out of you know big speakers, well, now you have the ultimate remote control because instead of your iPhone being a remote control, your iPhone is actually the device that's playing. So you have full control over what's happening, volume up and down, uh, pick your track, pick whatever you want, hit play, boom, no delay, out it goes. So that's the uh, the W2 total wireless music control. It is $169 for the pair of devices. So that's the one that plugs into the dock connector on your iPod or your iPhone and the piece that plugs into your stereo. That's uh, from Audio Engine USA. Uh, AudioEngineUSA.com. Nice. Yeah, it's cool. Love those guys. Got the A5s. They still yep. rock the house. They do. And uh, and you were talking about physics, right? I, I I think. Now, you know it was Galileo's birthday, right? How oh, that's Yesterday, right. February yeah. 15th. So, yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah, he kind of, it's, it's uh, well, we can't ask him. No, we can't ask why him. Why we have this problem of... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm not even going to go into the Star Trek and temporal anomalies and all that stuff. Yeah, here, but, uh, yeah, yeah. What are we going to go time. to? Who is next here? Lauren? Should we do Lauren? Should we I think. Oh, this this will get a, a fish shake. I think. Yeah. People seem to react to those. Yeah. Quite well. Okay. So Lauren writes, uh, I have a MacBook Pro with Leopard, which is 10.5, and I live in Rome, Italy. I was wondering if there's a way to unblock the limit. That makes it so you can't switch the DVD drive to other regions. Uh, on my old laptop, laptop, which was a Dell, I used VLC player, which was great, but it doesn't work for the MacBook. I would like to view Region 1 and Region 2 DVDs unlimited and be able to copy Region 2 DVDs as well. Do you have any advice for me? Okay, uh, let me translate this so that we can properly start our discussion here. For those of you who live in the U.S. and... Uh, have only ever tried to use a DVD that was produced to, to be used in the U.S., you may not be aware of this, but uh, the DVD player in your computer and even the DVD player in your house are locked to only play DVDs that are set for Region 1, which is in the U.S. And the same is true for other countries. Uh, it's just, just different region numbers is what it turns out to be. So uh, the your DVD player in the house 
in many cases, you can't mess with it. Now, sometimes actually you can, uh, but typically, even if you can, the hardware itself, so the drive that's built into your DVD player at home or your drive that's built into your MacBook Pro or whatever laptop it is you have, is limited from being switched. The region can't be switched more than five times. Once it's switched the fifth time, it locks. And if you take a DVD from another region and put it into your MacBook Pro, it's going to say to you, I can switch the region, but you only have X number of switches left. So in the past, a program called VLC uh, was able to play DVDs and bypass the region switch. Uh, that is not the case anymore. That that functionality has been removed from VLC, at least in the Mac version. And I think in the Windows version as well. Uh, so, so that's I think where it's in the drive. A, a lot of times I think it's in the drive. Oh no, it is in the drive, but, but it's up to the player software. <sighs> VLC software sort of bypassed, didn't, didn't have the drive. It would stream it directly from the drive. So it would, hmm. it, it wasn't as far as the drive was concerned. All that was happening with VLC was VLC was reading data off the drive, just like you would huh. copy files. Whereas DVD player tells the drive, go into DVD playing mode, which is a whole different world. Uh, it, it, the drive does more of the work, whereas VLC, the computer does the work. Um, so, so, so they had a mode that would, oh, okay, that's weird. They, well, they, they were bypass just bypass the region checking. Yeah, they the would drive. read the huh. data and, and then pull it off. Yeah. Pete's asking if there's a way to get an old copy of VLC player there, there may very well be that. Oh, that sure. Yeah. That would be, that would be something to, to check out. But, but so that's the issue. So there is no software that, that I know of that will stream a DVD, uh, you know, from another region off the drive. Um, but, you know, there, there, I, my solution to this, John, would be to go get something. And there's a couple of pieces of software like this, uh, like Mac the Ripper, uh, which yes. would. But but at that point, it's a two stage process. You've got to rip the DVD from the DVD to your hard drive and then watch it from your hard drive. Uh, well, from what I understand, what, what some of these will also do is, uh, depending on the software, I think Mac, Mac the Ripper and others, is uh, people have figured out the key to unlock the disk. And I don't know if that was embedded and uh, right. in, in earlier versions of VLC, but uh, the problem is all these encryption schemes rely on a key that's supposed to be secret, nobody knows, that, that's buried in the drive, and I think Blue, uh, Blu-ray or some others you know, try to embrace the concept of dynamically updating the keys, which to me is like, what good does that do me again as the user? who just wants to watch my darn stuff. So uh, to get back to this, the, uh, how they work is that from what I see here, there are typically six defined regions right now, though they allow for eight. Of course, you can have a region zero disk. You can be a swell guy and make a disk that'll play anywhere in the world, which to me, in my opinion, is what should happen. Hey, every <laughs> DVD I ever make, uh, any DVD I burn mm. here is region zero, totally region yeah, free, which will now. play on any yep. any player. Now, ways to get around this would be either to buy and I uh, Apex seems to come to mind as a kind of bottom of the line, you know, thing you get at Walmart that uh, some of these lower end players, you know, they don't have time to incorporate complex things like, you know, region checking. Um, the other thing you could do, though, uh, I want to mention in the context of the Mac is if you want to hack around a bit and this is getting off into, you know, pretty geeky territory. But so as pointed out, usually a lot of drives like the ones in the Macs, I, I think, and, and other computers will, will let you do five resets before the drive locks to a certain region. I think that was pointed out. Um, 
not so much on the Mac side, but on the PC side, which of course all the real hackers are on the PC and Windows side, right? Um, you get a drive, and they usually have firmware update utilities where if you know enough about the drive and you uh, download a certain firmware to the drive, it will then tell it, well, kind of ignore that region stuff, okay? Uh, right. The thing is, typically on the Mac side, the, uh, either the type of drive that Apple uses, which I think is, well, uh, I don't know if it's Panasonic or whoever, um, but the utilities out there to reflash the drive with the firmware that ignores the region is is typically not very, very you know well represented on the Mac side. So if you want to do this sort of thing, what you could do is get a, a friend with a PC. Why right. not? Um, you know, get the firmware for the particular model drive. I mean, they should all work, I would think. They may not interact properly with some Apple software. I think Apple, I don't know how they... they do it as of late, Dave. Maybe you could comment on this, but sometimes Apple software will kind of get cranky if it doesn't see a drive that is on the official Apple blessed drive list. So even though it yeah, work, that's it right. Doesn't. DVD player uh, and iDVD sometimes won't work with non Apple. Really? Yeah, non Apple blessed drives. Well, you know, it's you can't blame them. You and I sit here and say that's ridiculous. But, you know, if you take a step back and remember that's ridiculous. OK, good. Perfect. But no, John, if you take a step back and you look at what Apple does, you know, they try to preserve this user experience thing. And so yes. they don't want it. They don't want their software being used with a drive that they haven't tested and then failing in some, you know, non-critical way such that someone says, well, you know, it's not like it fails the moment that they put this new drive in and they know. Right. But. You know, it's sort of quirky and funky, and then suddenly it's, oh, the Mac sort of sucks because it's not reliable, and it reminds you of a yeah. Windows machine. Yeah, I can see that. Um, uh, but to me, the whole issue in, in and of itself is annoying. I mean, I equated it beforehand to, I mean, you know, so, the, you, you, so what happens is you can buy a movie in one country and then come back to the U.S. and not be able to watch the movie. It, to me, it's almost like being able to buy food in one country and then you go to another country and the, and the food doesn't let you eat it or, or it spoils or... <laughs> Or rots. It's like, what is up with this? I mean, yes, I, I don't know under, uh, I'm not an economist and I don't understand market segmentation and, and, and things like that. But uh, it, it's one of the few goods in the world, it seems, that restricts itself based on where it thinks it should be used. I don't know. It, you know, it's interesting. I have a, 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 a tangent here and I know we're going to we're going to go later than we normally do. But, you know, we're not doing a show next week, so that's OK. Um, my uh, my aunt and uncle are spending, I think, three months in Taiwan. He's teaching over there, and he's supposed to be retired, but the guy's having trouble with that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he, uh, they, they were telling a story on this blog that they set up that they weren't able, they had to go to the store and talk to the manager because they wanted to buy a DVD player over there to use in their apartment to play DVDs that were being sent to them via Netflix in the U.S. So they wanted a Region 1 DVD player in Taiwan. This was interesting. So you just bring one with you. They did not. No, well, you know, packing ah. things, packing. Oh, things. so this is trying to purchase a region one player in, in non region one land. country. Right. Just like buying a Taiwanese player here. Okay. I, I go. Well, this was, it was very interesting. And these, I mean, they're, they're not engineers, right? They're, they're not what I would consider, you know, geeks, but, but they're very smart people, extremely uh, bright people but 
uh, you know, this this is sort of one of those things that, you know, if you don't grok the concept, it doesn't matter how smart you are. You know, there's 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 a there's a gap there. But I, I was very impressed. They they went to the store, some electronics, you know, warehouse store or whatever. And they talked to a sales rep and they said, OK, yeah. And the sales rep said, aha, yes, we've been through this before. And I have to call my manager and then he has to call Phillips and get some magic password to somehow enter into this brand, you know, this Phillips certain model of DVD player. And then it will magically switch it from whatever their region is there to region one. And it's going to work just fine for you. So they did it and uh, and they they had brought a DVD with them and they were smart enough. And they said, oh, yeah, before we leave the store, let's just test this. And so they plugged in. And of course, it didn't work. And uh, and then they got Phillips back on the phone and walked through the process. And, and there was, you know, one thing they forgot to do or whatever. But but uh, but so it is possible to do. But again, it created this situation of my goodness. You know, why did we now have to have three people at this, you know, electronics store and someone from Phillips all spending their time to simply give this customer something that I mean, they weren't trying to do anything wrong. They were just trying to eat. You no, know, they're they, obviously criminals. For yeah, Oh, yeah. These people, if you saw them, you'd know right off the bat. And those are bad <laughs> people. You never want to fraternize with them. How they even get on the airplane to get over there? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to That's right. Yep. The TSA must have failed again because they let these people get on the plane and fly all the way to Taiwan. And, only to and even more with fun. The DVDs. So check this out. I'm, I'm looking at um, uh, region coding here. Yeah. Uh, I won't go too deep into the subject here, but here, here's some fun, Dave. Region three is Southeast Asia, South Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, okay, and Macau. Region six is China. Gee, what a great idea! Places that are kind of next to each other. Let's have two different region codes. Well, you know, some at least politics we, are involved there, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But okay. at least we have. Well, so region one is Canada, U.S. Well, actually, look at that U.S. territories. Yeah. So I guess yeah, Mexico. All right. Yeah. Uh, so it, it kind of sucks for everybody, but but, but <laughs> at least being in the Northeast. We're closer to Canada, so I'm, I'm, yeah, it's yeah. just silly. So yeah. again, there are six defined zones in the world. Just make do zero. Come on, guys, uh, yeah. cut it out. Yeah. All right. All right. What's next? Uh, okay, so we're at about the hour mark here, John. Should we do Ooh. Paul and then Michael, or should we just do Michael? Michael? Who's Michael? Michael's the one past Paul. Hmm. All right, we're going to do Paul. You know what? We're just going to do this. Do Paul. Go. Yeah. We'll, get, we'll do them both. Okay, so Paul, he has a geeky question. I, I'm, I'm warning you here. Mm-hmm. Paul says, I have a question that I think only my geek friends can help me with and maybe a good topic for conversation on the show. I guess we're Paul's geek friends, John. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a home network consisting of an Apple Airport Express or Airport Extreme hooked up to my ISP and a MacBook and a MacBook Pro connected wirelessly. What I am having trouble with is QoS. Don't worry, folks. We'll explain what he means. If one of the MacBooks is downloading a torrent file, legit, of course, or FTPing a movie to Apple TV, then the other MacBook basically loses all Internet browsing capabilities. After some digging around, I have not found a way to implement any kind of QoS on the router or on the Macs directly. Surely other people have come across this problem. I have seen on the Internet that you can get an inline piece of hardware that sits between your ISP connection and your router, but I have not found a retailer who sells such a device. Okay. Again, I'll set this up, and then I think you've got to— I'm going to run with it. You're going to run with it. Okay. You you toss it, I'll run. Okay. So So QoS means quality of service, but really that doesn't mean anything. Uh, The concept Mm -hmm. here is that if you have one computer uploading— or downloading at the fastest speed that your internet connection will go, 
it doesn't allow any room or doesn't allow much room for the other computers to transfer any data. So if I'm sitting on the network and I'm downloading some big file or uploading some big file and you go to try and check your email, John, it's going to appear to be very, very slow. But if somehow I could limit that me, instead of using 100% of the bandwidth, if I only used 98% of the bandwidth and there was just a little bit of headroom there, it allows packets to move back and forth a, a whole lot faster. And yeah, you've probably experienced this, Pete's saying, just like a hotel. It's the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, if you manage oh. and shape that traffic the right way, you can go and do, and, and, and you'll see this on some Linksys routers. Uh, you'll see QoS in the in the web interface. Unfortunately, the processors in those routers aren't fast enough to really do it properly, but but they can get close. So with that and knowing the problem that we want to solve, John, huh? Huh? Well, first off, I, I don't know if I'd like the term quality of service. If I had to redefine it, I'd call it amount of service. Hmm. Service being bandwidth. So quality, I mean, to me, quality is kind of subjective, right? Amount is, uh, so basically, we're talking, how much of a pipe do you get? And as Dave's pointing out, if somebody else is trying to take all the pipe, the device may not be able to hand it out. Here's the bad news. If you're talking an airport express, you don't have quality of service. That device does not support in the firmware that's in there. Now, if you're a firmware genius, you could probably write your own firmware for that device and offer that feature because as Dave pointed out, it's in other things like Linksys and some others. It may not be done properly, but once you get to a certain level of device, you will get that. So since you can't limit on the de- on the device, you may be asking yourself, can I limit it on the computer? And and I'm even going to throw out here, you know, <laughs> even even just on one computer, let's say you have your Mac connected directly to the Internet. No router, no nothing. Right. Because essentially that's what we're talking right. about here. It doesn't matter that this guy has a router. Uh, if I'm downloading a, uh, you know, a file or uploading a file that's using all my available bandwidth, if I go to check my own email, it's going to be the same problem. The Mac's not smart enough out of the box to slow things uh-huh. down, right, to, to, you know, to manage that and to prioritize right. one type of traffic over another type. Now, right. uh, we've talked about this before, John, right? Yeah, and we'll uh, we could start with the the, the basic, you know, kind of geeky and, and crude level, and kind then work our way geeky. up. Well, yeah. let's work our way up from okay. Stone Age to something that you'd like to use. Okay. So the first thing that I found doing a little investigation because I knew this was part of the OS, as you said, it's buried in there. Um, we have a nice Mac OS X hints article that tells you how to from the command line using sudo. Um, Actually, the IPFW program, which is the uh, firewall built into OS X, it does have a feature which, given enough information about the port and uh, protocol, or I'm sorry, the you know the port, either being a physical port or an IP port number, will create a bottleneck, an intentional bottleneck. Right. Um, and we'll link to that. But I think you'll agree, Dave, that typing you know pseudo IPFW commands is probably not what most people want to do, but, but, I, I but we, want to, we want to get to the core. Yeah. But you can, and it'll work. And it works. And, and in fact, I think everything else we're going to discuss is based on this. I think it all uses this. It just in different degrees separates you from it. And that's a good thing. But yeah, what, yeah. what it does is you say, okay, I'm going to create a pipe. If I know that my internet connection can go at five megabits per second, 
I'm going to create a pipe that's maxes out at four and a half megabits per second. And then what I'll do is once I've created that pipe, then I'm going to tell it uh, route all file transfer traffic through that pipe so that it never reaches the maximum bandwidth that I have. That's the concept. I'm not going to go any deeper than that because we don't have to. So, right. So the computer itself is limiting. Uh, so the, the default behavior, which is probably well, in a lot of cases, not the greatest, is everybody pretty much opens up the fire hose to full strength. Yep. If you're connected to a router or a you know wireless router, you're going to try to suck the data out of that as quickly as possible. And the problem is when everybody's doing that, it gets very unpredictable. And as, as we've seen a lot of times, some machines will just say, I, I give up. I, you know, nobody's can I talking go, to me. Can I take another step backwards? No. I'm going to explain yes, why this is a, why this is a problem, because it, it may seem on the surface that, look, if you want to download something as fast as you can, John, and I'm on the same network and I want to download something as fast as I can. Well, well let's just go and both tell, you know, whoever's sending it to us to send it. And basically, we're going to get 50 50. Right. You know, it'll be something like that. And it'll One be fine. Would but, assume that's how the device should work. Here's what happens if you are soaking up 100 percent of Either side of the stream right now, there's an upstream and that's all by itself. And then there's downstream and that's all by itself. Uh, if you're soaking up 100 percent of the downstream, it it it's very difficult. If I if I then say if, if you're taking up 100 percent of the downstream, John, and I then go out to try to talk to somebody, I'm going to send a command up the um, upstream that says, go and send me this file that goes out fine. Now I'm waiting for an answer from them. Well, the downstream is filled up. So it's that answer is going to come in very slowly. Conversely, if you're uploading a file and using all of the available bandwidth, if I even go to check my email, uh, I have to send a command out the upstream to the email provider. Well, that's going to get clogged up and it's going to sit and it's going to go real, real slow. So you want to leave room for that kind of overhead traffic is, is really what's going on here. And, and so go, John. Right. Well, I think what you're pointing out is, yeah, a lot of the low, what I call lower end devices, they're not smart enough. If you get a big boy device like you know, a nice Cisco router or a, you know, ISP level router, enterprise level router, you put the rules in there saying, OK, right. you know, I'm going to hand out this much to this person. You're not going to get any more than this. And, uh, th and what we're talking about is effectively doing that on the Mac level, uh, as in the Macintosh. Or right. PC, you know, software level, it's not doing. You really should be doing this at the router level, but because, uh, you know, Apple and other, you know, somewhat low-end products, they just don't do that. They kind of hope that it's going to work out. <laughs> everybody's going to be respectful. Not everybody's going to hop on the network and try to, you know, upload and download maximum quantities. But sometimes that happens. Right. Um, so I guess the next step in this would be, you know, so so other than the the command line horror. Um, I think, uh, Dave, we've talked about uh, water roof is kind of a nice. Um... Yep. So we have firewall and now we have water roof. Right. Uh, but water roof is an app that lets you configure the firewall. It basically it. And this is my interpretation of how water roof works. You have to know what it is that the firewall can do for you. But you don't necessarily have to know the commands you need to type verbatim. Water roof takes care of sort of configuring it for you, but you really need to know what it is you're making here. So it, it's a, it's a geeky tool, but it, 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 it's one, you know, one step removed from the, the guts of the command line. You're not going to get the command wrong. 
if you use water roof, but you got to basically know what you're supposed to do. And, yeah. and that's that's all I knew about until today, John, when when you found something. Uh, so go ahead. Yeah. And of course, water roof is a little play on words because, of course, you know, right. fire wall, water right. roof. Ha ha. OK, so what I found, I, I was surfing around. I, I wasn't sure if anybody made this, but apparently someone does. And I found something called Throttled Pro. What does this do, you ask? What, the, what does it what does <laughs> it do? <laughs> Finally. OK, so um, uh, Throttled Pro optimizes your Internet connection and provides quality of service to Mac OS X. The following bandwidth graph shows what it could do to your network connection. And this product um, does exactly, I think, what we want. And it provides a very nice, uh, what I've seen from the screenshots um, and port configuration screens. I have not actually put it to use because I just found it. Um, and I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to actually be able to do uh, the show? I didn't want to make my, uh, yeah, my computing environment. Uh, not saying I don't trust these. Well, I don't know who these guys are. I, I've never seen them, but it looks Based on what I've seen here, well, I did install it, um, but not actually engage it. And, uh, you know, it did run, it did launch, um, you know, it allowed for a configuration of ports and, and speeds and all that. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to try it out, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's shareware. You, you don't have to, you know, it's $20, I think, shareware, though. Though it's, it seems to run without you having to pay them, which I guess is nice. So um, Now, you know it, it, it is important to note a couple of things here, John. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about, if you don't have a router that supports or properly supports doing this you're doing it on your individual max which means that right. you're not really doing a kind of a big picture uh no you're not uh, absolutely mapping not. you know you're 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 sort of you're trying just like with time with what we were talking about with the the time machine and multiple machines or time capsule multiple machines backing up to it each individual right. computer sort of needs to be manually managed with the whole network yes. in mind because you're not managing the whole network with one fell right. swoop uh, so you would probably do an operation where you take one machine, everybody else go away, right. you figure out what the maximum bandwidth is with whatever wireless or wired protocol could be either one. And then you think about, okay, if I have two or three or four machines, right. how much would I give them? And I think you know, the calculation is pretty simple. And then in theory, if you give them all you know, a piece of the pie, but not the whole pie, then you're not going to have the same problems as you do of right. you know, pretty much a free for all. That's right. In most cases, you're going to be OK. Now, one thing I want to talk about here is a lot of Internet providers, and I think Comcast is the largest in the USA, uh, do something that, that they call burstable bandwidth, meaning when you first start an upload or start a download, it's going to go faster uh, than your maximum connection allows. Uh, you know, if I I think right now I pay for eight megabits downstream, uh, which is fine all by itself. But when I start a download, it starts coming in at, at, you know, more like 15 or 16 megabits. So almost double. And that lasts for anywhere between one and three minutes. And then at that point, it says, oh, you're OK. You're not just looking for something quick. You're going to be downloading for a while. So we're yeah. going to ratchet you back to your eight. That screws this whole situation up because now you, you can't manage that unless you have a router that's smart enough to track what it is that Comcast is allowing you to do and dynamically manage or or somehow figure out what's going on. Of course, you could also use this. And mm. I, I I have not done this, but I thought about it. You know, right now I've got uh, 
I think a two megabit upstream or, or yeah, I think it is a two megabit upstream. So it's fine when I have to upload the podcast, it's great. But it used to be that my upstream was 768 K and right. it would burst to like two and a half megabits. So I get the first 30 seconds of the upload, like half the podcast would upload in, in 30 seconds. And then it would take, you know, like another four minutes for five minutes sometimes for the podcast to upload. And I thought about, OK, well, if I could create some Apple script where it allowed it to burst for 28 seconds <laughs> and then brought it back for five and then allowed it to burst for 28 again, I could trick Comcast into, you know, allowing me to, to have this this one steady, almost steady stream yeah. at, at two and a half megabits. Yeah. I never did it because they they updated my bandwidth before I got around to writing the Apple script. But I would have. Yeah. I, I have no doubt. Yeah. Like I said, I you know, I think they would have noticed something. I don't think they would have. I mean, I, I do this once a week. It's not, you know, but, it's not like I'm doing. But it I think once you got a certain connection and socket going, I think that's pretty much it. Mm. No, no. It, they, they watch it because I've seen it where it, I was, you know, uploading a file and the server that I was sending to. This is what made me think to do it. Uh, was having bandwidth troubles. So it would allow me to burst for a little while. But then it. The, you know, the, the receiving machine would, would slow me down to below my cap. And then once it opened up again, it I was able to go full uh, full throttle for a little while. So even though it was the same connection, it was just watching the amount of bandwidth that huh. I used. Yeah. So it's like opening and closing the valve. You got it. And you got it. I'm yeah. just thinking, yeah, no, I guess. The, the, yeah, you, you could have a tool that detects that. But then, yeah, is it worth it? So, yeah. All right. Well, it's pretty clever. Yeah. And I think yeah, we got yeah. burstable, too, here. I think. Uh, yeah, you do. That's right. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it makes sense because a lot of files when you're browsing, especially with a browser, are probably little itty bitty, you know, banner ads and yeah. graphics and stuff that probably don't exceed. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Once once they kick in a high gear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or once they see you doing a transfer more than 30 seconds or a minute, they figure, OK, you're. Yeah. Um, 206-666-GEEK, which is? 4335. <laughs> feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the place to email. What's that email address, John? Oh, I think it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Pete, did you get the email address? It's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. You got, and the, that, you got the memo. That's Pilot Pete. He's a Twitter.com slash Pilot Pete. John over there is Twitter.com slash, Twitter slash John F. Braun. And I'm Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton. We are out next week. You know, it's always possible. Uh, I'll give you a call, John, and say, are you up to do a quick show or something? I, you and know, uh, uh, yeah, that's Maybe right. Maybe Pete we'll and I will do together. it. There you, you know, go. You showed oh, him how to run perfect. the board, right? Yeah, he watches me. He's got to know what to I, do. I'd love to do it. I'm in Florida, too. See you Oh, there. that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, yeah you're Sorry, too, John. You're on your own. You're about yo, three yo. hours from me in Florida. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yo, yo, really? John. Wow, they're big. It's school vacation here. So uh, mm-hmm. next week, so we're go- oh. we're going down to Naples to visit family, and Pete's going elsewhere. So nice. We're going to go visit Mickey and Minnie. You're going to the Reedy Creek Improvement District, <laughs> is where great. you're going. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, I was there a while ago. Yeah, love it. Yeah, you can always be a kid at Disney. I think that's the cool thing. It they is. Do family entertainment, right? It, they do. Yeah, they they really do. Yeah. It's like a Mac experience. Just a good experience. Yep, it is. Yeah. Cast members are awesome. As long, and the only thing is, uh, and and we had to go through this as a family, uh, you have to accept that they did not build Disney World for you. That's correct. They built it for everybody. For everyone. And as soon as you accept that, your trip is great. So there you go. Uh, iPhoneAlley.com. What's that? What do you mean, though? There's a line or two there. Yeah, there's a line or two. That's right. 
Yeah, food options might not be exactly what you're going to choose. Oh, I thought, I thought you were talking about, you know, like getting liquored up, which uh, you can oh, do in Epcot. <laughs> you can do that in Epcot, but you can't in the... Uh, Magic Kingdom. As far as I know, in the Magic Kingdom. Nope, that was Walt's vision. You cannot have uh, alcohol in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, and the city of St. Louis told him he was nuts. <laughs> and, and, and therefore, Disney World is in Orlando. But, um, but Epcot, some of the sit-down restaurants, you know... Like, I think in the uh, German area, you get a nice, uh, nice beer, beer or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Epcot. Yeah, there's... Oh, yeah. Or the wine tasting. Sure. The wine yeah. tasting. So, uh, Ep- Ep- I find Epcot great because it, it lets... I mean, I, I've been there with my friends, and we've brought their uh, young kids that there's mm-hmm. something for them, something for the adults. You know what was funny is our kids actually... I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they can say this about our son, but our nine-year-old daughter said that of all the parks, and we saw all four of them while we were there, mm-hmm. and downtown Disney, of course... Yeah. Uh, she liked Epcot the best, which surprised me. But yeah, I know. Yeah, the kids had a blast there. Well, there's good rides. There's Mission Space. Oh, no, uh, uh, Mission to Mars. Right, yes. Yeah, that's the fun one. And they've got that uh, GM test track. And test track. Zero oh, oh, the Mission to Mars. They have the um, the Wimpy and the uh, yeah. you know, Hurl yeah. settings. Yeah. With an air sick bag. <laughs> Yeah, you know, with the, it's the only ride that has one. That's but people were di- people were dying on that thing. Were they? Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah, I think I think you pull about four G's on that ride. It's Is pretty that right? cool. Yeah, yeah, Straight yeah. It certainly. I mean, I felt it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, feeling now, face. Feel like, me you feel like the guys in spies like us, you know? How about some coffee? <laughs> what disappointed me was you're supposed to be able to control the ship, and I think I was the captain. Mm-hmm. And at one point, your ship was you know teetering on a the edge of a cliff, yeah. and I I wanted to go over the cliff, and it was not acknowledging my uh, my no, commands. It will I not. Was let very you. very disappointed. That's right. That's right. It was all scripted. The computer I, I was so disillusioned. That's right. <laughs> well, Lucas and I had to. My son and I had to do this, and uh, because uh, my daughter. Got scared. They they give all these warnings for that mission to, to Mars ride, oh, yeah. and and we were like right in line. We had waited through the line. We had we did the fast pass, so it wasn't terrible. But uh, just about to go in, and she's like, no 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 no. So Lisa said, okay, I you know I'll go and leave with her. And so just Lucas and I went in, and it was just the two of us in the thing. And uh, you know you're strapped in really tight, and so we couldn't reach all the buttons. It was just two of us in a four man ride. But yeah, it, it goes automatically. But we had fun, and they gave us—they uh, gave uh, uh, my wife some uh, some special fast passes that lasted all week for the. Uh, oh. Well, because because they bailed, you know, they waited in the line and then they bailed. They said, "Look, here's these fast passes. You can use them for the whole time you're here for this ride. If you you know if you ever want to come back, don't don't worry about it. Nice. And it's for all four of you, so you can do it as a family and, uh, and all Ooh. that." So. No, I and, like the the one thing I like, and then we'll. Uh, oh, we should probably. How long? How? What's the clock? One seventeen forty seven. Wow. Okay. What I gap. what I liked that was great for everybody was yeah, soaring. Exactly. You know the Disney yeah. Geek Gap. That would be a uh, that show. A people show. would listen to that. So, oh yeah, because there's now, so much stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now Pete, okay. did you try that? But uh, Soren. Oh, Soren was great. Yeah. Oh yeah. At Epcot, it's like a hang glider. Yep. Oh, very cool. That was very cool. But I actually, get, I actually got my five-year-old daughter to go on Tower of Terror at <laughs> Hollywood Studios. She still talks about it. Our kids- I've seen kids run away from that crying because some of the characters are yeah. kind of creepy, leading you in there, and it's all yeah. dark. And yeah. our kids went on that. Uh, we, we went on that once as a family, the Tower of Terror. Then every time we walked by it, even if there was like a fifteen-minute line, the kids are like. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to go on it. We get home. Oh. They tell everybody, "Oh, that was our favorite ride." Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? We wanted to go on it again. We didn't get to go. We're like, well, we weren't into it then. Thanks. 
Yeah. I got to say my favorite there was the Aerosmith. Roller, we did, rock we and did that a coaster. ton. That, that rock too. That was zero to sixty in a few seconds. Yes, couple, it was. Three seconds. Yeah, it's one of those yeah. magnetic start roller coasters yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Oh yeah, we got to get out of here. Okay. Uh, iPhoneAlley.com is where Michael Johnston lives when he's not uh, doing converting this show to AAC for your uh, interactivity pleasure. Cashfly.com is where all the bandwidth comes from and all the podcasts are hosted there. The podcast marketplace includes the W2 from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Disc Label and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And, uh, John, I think that's it. I mean, <sighs> we couldn't possibly do more, could we? You know what? We could go for another hour. Should I just, uh, no. should I just stop the music? Here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> On the mic. <laughs> hey, have a good week off, John and uh, Pete and John. And I guess I'll take this advice myself. Uh, you know, don't get caught. May not.